Welcome to the Edinburgh Fringe. Let's talk to Quan Wen about his stand-up show, Ila Formosa. Yes, good afternoon, good morning, good evening from Edinburgh, the arts capital of the world. The big weekend, the launch of all the shows is over and we are into the swing of the fringe. There is so much to see and do. Trying to find something, well, everybody finds a different needle in this haystack and many of those needles are wonderful in their construction, memorable in their moments and sometimes just stick with you for a lifetime. Others last about five minutes once you get out the door and turn into the next show, but you can check your notes later. How to find those shows? Sometimes you rely on word of mouth, sometimes you rely on reviews, sometimes you just dive into random edit program to find out what's on in the next five minutes and sometimes you might listen to an engaging character on YouTube, Twitch, Hurdle Pile or a podcast. So let's do that with a podcast. And right now, as mentioned at the top of the show, Juan Wen and his show, Ila Formosa, which means beautiful island in Portuguese, a nod towards the sailors who landed on the islands of Taiwan in the 16th century. And that's important here because Juan Wen is going to talk about how he traded his beloved Taiwan for the rainy British Isles, what it means to the Taiwanese and what it symbolises through generations of migration and shifting identities. The show does have some autobiographical elements, how could it not, given the subject, but it does offer that time-honoured use of comedy to take a sideways look at both politics and the human condition through a medium that makes it easy to talk about those complicated issues. You can see Quan Wen and the show at the Gilded Balloon right through to August the 27th, and you can listen to him now. And now on the Edinburgh Fringe podcast, show spectacular, joining me now, Kuan Wen. Welcome to the show, Kuan Wen. That's not a name from around here, is it? Well, it depends. I don't know. It could be. I'm not going to... You have a couple, I don't know, 60 million people out there. I, I haven't done a, an audit of your home office data. Is that even available? I don't know. But I'm not from here. You're absolutely right. But I'm legally British. Don't you dare take that away <laughs> from me. I have your passport. Well, yeah, that set the tone wonderfully. But it, this is a story about partly about belonging that you're bringing to the fringe up this year isn't it Juan? belonging i, I thought you were talking about baloney <laughs> to be honest i've not seen the show yet so <laughs> let me reserve judgment on that one yeah. it's about a bit of identity about escape about how you i guess i, I moved around and i've called uh uk home is my adopted country and soon actually i will have spent equal amount of time living in the uk compared to a amount of time I grew up in Taiwan, but that's where I come from. And there's very deep emotional attachment to it. And I explain the show, I think it also is a metaphor. My mom and my home country, there's a very complicated relationship we I have with them. And I've concluded that I love them dearly, but I feel I need to love them from a distance <laughs> and kind of explain and set a tone. Uh, of the whole show and there's a lot i want to talk about being taiwanese coming from taiwan 
because quite often people hear the accent. I speak Mandarin as my first language, and there's a historic reason for that because my mother tongue should have been Taiwanese because it was banned by our government. So um, I talk about why I I feel I feel I I feel I have to run away, but I also feel I'm constantly drawn back. I don't know if this too. It's just not logical enough for people, but but that's exactly what you feel. Um, my mom is scary. My island is nice, but sometimes a bit too hard and and torturing. And also the geopolitical situation. And people just assume I'm Chinese. And for years, I've been trying to say to people, "No, I'm I'm Taiwanese." And I noticed that some Taiwanese compatriots take the easy way out. So, for example, if they are standing in front of a big Western market as a performer, I think there's a celebrity chef here, for example, and she will always call herself a Chinese chef, but she's actually Taiwanese-British. But maybe she identifies more as Chinese, or maybe it's just easier for her to just label herself as Chinese. I never know. I don't know her um, per personal in personal terms. But for me, I've always tried to establish myself as the Taiwanese comedian. And initially, there was a bit of price to pay, because it would have been a lot easier if I just say, oh, here's another Chinese comedian. And I do all the Chinese stereotype. I mean, Taiwanese stereotype may be made in Taiwan. Other than that, it's been years when I try to explain to people what that is about. And this show is my opportunity. Like, ta-da, um, come watch the show and you know a lot more about Taiwan, but not in a patronizing way. <laughs> One of the things about Taiwan for me is that I only ever see it in the news when it when China seems to be belligerent towards it. I mean, yes. put, put that aside for a second, because I, I know that that no, sort of focus is there. You are absolutely spot yeah. on. That's yeah. what I said. We ourselves are not worthy of a mention unless we're mentioned with our um, abuser. So it's like the woman that Oscar Pistorius murdered because a lot of people still don't know her name, Riva Steenkamp. People only remember Oscar Pistorius and that poor woman that he murdered. In a way, we're very similar to Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine isn't worth mention on its own merit. It's always about, oh, Ukraine, you're creating tension between Russia and the rest of the world. Oh, should we let Ukraine join NATO? And I, <laughs> I think Taiwan is only mentioned in that scenario. Maybe, for example, Scotland doesn't get mentioned a lot by the rest of the world. Only when Scottish people try to be naughty and try to leave the union, it may create trouble for the UK, for the entire Europe, for the world economy. And suddenly American will start talking about Scotland. Otherwise, only people here use the term British. If you have American comments coming over, they always call the UK England. I don't know if, if you've noticed that. And in my language, for example, we call the UK the ink country. We don't have a separate world. We have England and we call the UK in country. We don't even bother to pretend there is a term, there's a United Kingdom. And it just, it just, it just a bit like, so this show, I feel like, okay, I'm going to do the French properly. Um, and this may be my one off chance to help with our state propaganda. <laughs> I, it's, it's a really it's an almost impossible question to say, tell me what Taiwan is like, because that would take forever because there's so many different facets to a country. Yeah. But if, if, if I said, look, can you sum up Taiwan? What does it feel like? You know, when people say that Scotland is friendly or American is, is split between red and blue, what's Taiwan? 
Taiwan is uh, selectively friendly. It is friendly, but we are kind of racist. So we're very friendly towards white people. And if your skin tone is darker, then take your chances. Some people are very friendly. Some people would treat you like an animal from a zoo. Taiwan is also very insecure in that because we don't get mentioned a lot. Uh, we get very excited when there was a heavyweight like Nancy Pelosi visiting, which I cover in the news. We were so desperate to have a former British Prime Minister. We even paid to get Liz Truss over. Do you see how the quality control procedure got lost? <laughs> Just we were heavily, but so that that speaks. Uh, so uh, one example: Taiwanese people love food, and we love we always love like noisy environments. Always a lot of friends and family. We are the kind of people who will talk about dinner when we are having lunch does that make sense to you yeah <laughs> and um and one way i noticed some of the top top 10 youtubers in taiwan are just uh, foreigners eating taiwanese food and all they have to do is to eat our food and say yum this is amazing and to follow that they will share that food with their parents back in united states or in france and their friends and and all the friends that oh my god this is surprisingly amazing and taiwanese people just feel we are seen we are validated thank you for loving me i don't know if scottish people bother when someone eat haggis and show appreciation would you cry I don't I don't know, but I just imagine, for example, when someone eats French food and say, this is absolutely amazing. French people wouldn't even care. They say, of course, we are amazing. So 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 that speaks of I, I wish we had the kind of uh, confidence that French people do, but we don't because we, we have this little renegade province of China. We kind of always need people to look at us and come and say when something shit happens. But at the same time, we managed to become the first Asian country to uh, legalize uh, same-sex marriage, for example. We're doing quite well. Like We are quite a big econ economy. It's just that we are overshadowed by one of the biggest on the planet. So I hope people can learn a bit more about my island. I think what enough for the pandemic I said in my show, people know Taiwan like they know the planet Pluto. Um, they know that it exists and nothing else. And and then they start the question, is even a planet? Probably it's not a planet. <laughs> it called itself, it's self-identified as a planet. Pluto is a planet. That's good enough in my book. <laughs> it's functioning a lot better than many planets. <laughs> so where did your confidence come from then? My confidence, I think it's overcompensating. Um, first, because I feel a genuine sense of joy that I've achieved my independence. I successfully run away from my tiger mom, who I love dearly, but I need to love her from dear uh, distance. And I guess uh, I I'm a queer performer and it takes me years to learn to accept myself and love myself. And I'll give my host country, UK, a lot of credit for that. This is one of the most sort of tolerant uh, country. I mean, that's your way to improve, but I genuinely feel, for example, when I used to work in corporate environment, there was no taboo at all for me to say, oh, I spend a weekend with my boyfriend, you know, things like that, which is okay. Whereas I would have found it a bit difficult back then in Taiwan. And I think you have to go through that phase of saying, yes, queen, I'm I'm gay. Some people are gay, live with it. I went through, I've gone through that overcompensating phase and I can keep that confidence should I need it. I tend to keep it on stage because this is my exaggeration of my real persona. So my stage persona is just an extension of that. But in real life, I've sort of toned down because I feel, oh, I don't need to 
fight that fight that much anymore. But when I perform, I will let that energy out because I've learned that lesson to to be proud to love yourself. Yeah. Said there, you worked you worked in a corporate environment, but now yes. you are a working comedian, working stand-up, working scriptwriter. Yeah, kind of in between. Like no one really made enough money from comedy these days, except the very few. <laughs> um, so I phased out a full employment. I I, I was working. Uh, I started working for KPMG as a tax accountant, and then I started to work in house as an accountant of a big corporation. I tend to be multinational group, and then because of comedy, I start to reduce it to a fixed term contract, so I can go in and out of contract. And then comedy got more serious. Um, so I left my last contract. I start to take some piece of work. But I know I'm not going to go on LinkedIn and say, I'm going to shut down this profile because me love comedy so much. I only need creative work for now on. I know my cash flow may be dipping. So I, I might have to return to another contract at some point. I would never rule that out. But if I can do more and actually make a living out of comedy, I'll try. But it's a tough business. So given the legendary cost of attending the Fringe, how yes. difficult or easy a decision was it to bring your show up to Edinburgh this year? Um, hmm. I feel like it's on my bucket list, but would I do 10 years in a row? Probably not. And I've always heard how people do shows. I've attempted to follow the 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 format sort of the rule book and people say oh um they would for example have a director and work with director to develop the show and initially i was like why surely a stand-up comic is a one-man band you're supposed to do everything on your own but then i thought okay i'll give it a try and my director really gave me advice on the structure of it or something i'm trying too keen to explain goes too fast about this is taiwan bang 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 and he'll be like, I don't particularly know a lot about your country. You lost me too fast. You have to take a step back. So the kind of thing is a reminder. I still have to write the show, but then I will be told that where you're not doing right. And having gone through this process, I feel because now everything's so expensive. If I want people to come to pay ticket for my show, I want the show to be a polished product. So I would feel if I were to take another show to Edinburgh, I want to go through that process again in terms of creation i've done about 30 uh, walking progress show prior to this one and the show has gone through so many changes but only for the better so how is it i feel like i've committed to it and there's it's too much a shame to abandon the plan halfway through although these days i can just say that i need to take care of my mental health and just give up but i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm just joking i'm just joking mental health is very important ladies and gentlemen and guys Anyway, um, I enjoy doing this show so much, mainly because I've done this in London. I've done it in Berlin. I just finished one in Berlin. I've I've done to full room 80, 90% of Taiwanese people because my, my, my compatriot, the diaspora, they rarely hear a comedy show about our country. And uh, they came to support and they asked them whether I think I misled or sort of I didn't properly portray our home country and most of them gave me very positive feedback so i'm really glad i've chosen this journey uh mainly because i haven't seen the final balance um profit and loss account yet but <laughs> that word profit um is is an ambition shall we say for most people and actually according to the latest accounting term you shouldn't call it profit and loss account anymore on 
It should be called an income statement. <laughs> well, th- there we go then. Um, hashtag income statement. Um, and is there a new word for podcast the write-off? Acronym for income statement is the same as Islamic State. Have you noticed? <laughs> okay, no, I'm going back to profit and loss. There we go. That's safer. <laughs> Does does the show go down differently with a mostly Taiwanese audience compared to a mostly British audience? Does it play oh, it differently? Does. It does. And I've tried to have something for everyone because I cannot predict on a given day what the audience composition would be like. I even did five days in Prague and sometimes, but even in Prague, I will have one show without a single East European, for example. There will be lots of Australian. I even had a group of Welsh people, six Welsh people sitting in the room. But there were days when there were people from Ukraine, from Poland, from Czech Republic, and they would see my show from a different angle. I think when I talk about, when I joke about the military threat from China, Western people enjoy the jokey bit first, whereas the people from East Europe really experience that how to live with a, a sort of slight threatening neighbor. And for example, that dynamics yet again different when it comes to Scottish, Welsh, or Irish uh, audience. Because when I joke about a dominant neighbor, you guys get it. But the fact is, England is not as malicious as Russia, right? So that dynamic has to be twisted in a different way. And and that's what I enjoy, that there's something for everyone. I've tried to put in some of my observation of my host country, and this is how uh, people see you. And I also want to make sure, there are jokes about Taiwan. I think everyone will find it funny. It's just going to hit a little bit harder for Taiwanese people because we rarely hear about us being portrayed at sort of center stage of, of a comedy show. It must be exciting as a performer knowing that you need to find a slightly different balance every performance yeah sometimes it's a bit of shame i will have for example i have some references to uk celebrities but when i go abroad i would test i think for example i still keep liz trust because she's such embarrassment the whole world knows about her so it's okay even when i'm out of uk i can still talk about liz trust but there are other uk uh celebrity for phyllis Schofield, for example which is incorporated in my uk version but he will be taken out when I do the show elsewhere in continental Europe, I did one back home in Taipei too. And there's definitely a lot of uh, difference. So the show this year, tell us where it's on. Where can we find it? Uh, 5.40 every day at uh, Gilded Balloon Tevia House Lounge. I'm Rapunzel. I don't have the hair down, but I'm top of the tower. Come and find me. And uh, You know, there's a really easy way to find you. Certainly for everybody listening to the podcast, which is you head back to our website and there'll be a link there straight into the ticket office, edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. And we'll also have links back to your website, Kian. So where can people find you outside of the Fringe? Oh, yes. Yeah. So generally, uh, com. you'll find a lot of the things there. Uh, Kwan is spelled as K-U, not K-W. That's the Malaysian spelling. U, U for unicorn, K for Kardashian. Remember, Kardashian unicorn, Ariana Grande, Nicki Minaj. That's Kwan Wen. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm Kwan Comedy on Instagram. And uh, I need to be on brand because if I say I'm a Taiwanese comedian, <laughs> China, and they say this is my TikTok account, I think that is a little bit hypocritical. So I don't have a TikTok account. And there's a reason for that. Enjoy Edinburgh. Enjoy the fringe. I oh, look forward to meeting you, seeing the show. But for now, Kwan, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me.
One when there with his show, Ila Formosa. As always, links back at our website, edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. For the physical details, it's on till the 27th of August. It's at the Gilded Balloon. And while there are many different flavours of venues, it's the Gilded Balloon that everybody, the rest of the world, knows is the TV Union throughout the year. 5.40pm there. As always, thank you for listening. We will bring you a taste of the Fringe, but 3,000 shows is not going to turn into 3,000 podcasts. We're here with you every day. So link, like, love, share, subscribe, all the usual stuff on the socials. And uh, please consider leaving your very own star review for this very show uh, in your favourite podcast app or directory, or even Spotify, if the mood takes you. More tomorrow for now. Enjoy the Fringe if you're in Edinburgh. Enjoy the Fringe podcast wherever you are. I'm away to, well, there's no rain today. Um, oh, well, there's no rain right now at this very minute I'm recording. It has been scattered showers and wind. No snow yet, no frost, but I'm sure that's going to become an August of all weathers, an August of all performances, an August full of arts, and an August podcast full of the very same. So, right for now. You've been listening to the Edinburgh Fringe Show, hosted by Ewan Spence, produced by The Podcast Corner. Listen to more from The Fringe at edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. Yeah.